This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. My name's Nigel Clark and I'm founder of Dad Vengers and host of this wonderful parenting podcast where we explore different aspects of parenting and hone in on the dad point of view. But it's not just about the dads. Mums, grandparents, carers, soon-to-be parents, we want you involved in the conversation too. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please subscribe. It's so important because we can only continue to have important conversations like this if we can prove you're out there listening and subscribing is the best way to let us know. So let's talk, let's laugh, let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Today's guest describes himself as outnumbered because he lives with five women. Two of them are twins. Um, He's no stranger to social media. You may know him as father of daughters. I'll call him Simon. Hey, buddy. (laughs) Hey there, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Uh, Perpetually tired, but I guess that's just part of life, isn't it? (laughs) Perpetually tired. For those who don't know the ages of your children, how old are they? Uh, my eldest is now 14, uh, my middle one, Marnie, is 11, and the twins somehow are six now, and I can't quite believe that's happened. But um, yeah, it, every, every stage has its new challenges, and seeing my 14-year-old now going through the things that she's going is like my childhood memories coming screaming back to me about being that, that teenage age, wanting to grow up, be independent. And I've lost my little girl a little bit, but I'm desperately trying to hold on. So, yeah, it's fun. Definitely. I mean, it, the way the ages, like, span out there, it feels to me like first child, yeah, you'll be doing all the learning. Second child, I kind of remember this. Third time round, you must be, like, a pro. A pro, but also incredibly lazy, I would imagine. It's like you also, <laughs> like, with the first one, you're so attentive, right? So everything is wrapped in cotton wool and everything is amazing and you're going to all the groups and doing all the swimming lessons and all that kind of stuff and by number three and four you're kind of like yeah I don't need to meet new parents can't be bothered with that (laughs) I know I've got my group um and we can do some activities but I've also got two other kids to look at look after and I've got two dogs um and my life is way too full so I feel like the the twins actually probably get a rougher deal um but you know, that's part and parcel of being a parent, isn't it? You, you go on that learning experience, you learn what's important and what's not quite so important. And as long as everyone's smiling, then I guess you're doing a good job. 
Yeah, you are. You must be doing a good job because people like what you put up on the social media. So, and I think they're looking at that because you're demonstrating what they're, what we go through on a day-to-day basis. The thoughts we have, the things that we experience, all of that. It's like, hold on, Simon's going through it too. I can, I can deal with that. And that's what I really love about your stuff. Yeah, I think social media can be a weird place though, right? So you, it's, some of it can be this kind of picture of perfection and you use it to follow people you admire or inspire, uh, that inspire you or celebrities or whatever it might be. Um, um, but it is not necessarily real life. And that was the thing that was missing for me. It was like the mundane stuff that everyone is doing that you can relate to. Now, that was like four or five years ago when I started that. And now everyone does it. I'm not saying that I started that, by the way. <laughs> but <I'm, laughs> I, I would love to be able to get some royalties if they did. Um, but uh, it's just one of those things that I think, you know, you need to know that people are going through the same stuff as you. You need to find uh, some solace in knowing that the challenges that you've gone through or are going through are shared with other people. So you feel less alone. And it, in a weird way, you kind of create this community that actually helps each other uh, by even just acknowledging that everyone else does that. Or someone actually might have a suggestion about how to do something. Um, I mean, everyone has an opinion on the internet, don't they? So, but um, it's, it's, it's an interesting place. And it's not something I ever intended to go out and do, but it has kind of created this unofficial kind of support network, I guess, just through poking fun at each other and pointing out the stupid things that we do. I really resonate with that because I have a really similar experience. Setting up Dadvengers was an accident. It was an accident that has become a community that support each other, that support dads online. So I can totally see exactly what you're talking about. And what it's triggered in my head is the first time round, you, you even mentioned it, going to baby groups. How did you feel becoming a father that first time round? I mean, I was quite young as well when I started out. So, How old were you? Uh, I was 23 uh, when we had our first daughter. And that was not necessarily in our plan. Um, I think my, my wife and I had... Um, I did the surprise baby as well. I oh, did yeah, the surprise yeah. baby. I mean, my, my order goes surprise planned and then planned and surprised with the twins because no, i don't think anyone plans for twins do they they're like yeah we can have twins tonight, definitely <laughs> um so yeah it's been that that's the order but with the with the first one um we were really really young i mean clemmy was like 22 i was 23 just turning 24 and our lives after university hadn't really started and i had this plan like we were going to move to london because we were in bristol at the time and i was going to start my career and you know, do all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly this kind of bombshell kind of dropped on our lives. Um, but we thought, well, hang on, we can do this. It's all right. We can, we can figure this out. Um, but while lots of people have children around the same age as their friends having children, we were completely removed from that. Like our, our friends were still going out every weekend during the week, you know, having parties and just having a well of a time while I was at home, like changing nappies and trying to figure out, you know, how to have warm bottles and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it was one of those things that you kind of just accepted that that's now part of your life. But I did look at, over the fence at my friend's lives and thought, oh man, I'm FOMO, I'm missing out, what's going on? Um, but yeah. You adjust to it. Now you mentioned uh, you were thinking about a career and all of that. You're just straight out of uni. Work-life balance at that point must have been like, well, because you, you didn't have a work-life, let's say, that was consistent yet or, or where you knew where you were going because you're in that transitional period coming out of university. 
And well, that, that was the challenge, one of the challenging parts and one of the biggest regrets that I have, uh, especially in those early days, is that I'd actually got the job that I wanted for this company that I've been uh, you know, hankering after working for. And I got it and I was really pleased with it. Um, and we just moved from Bristol to London and I was a new grad and I never felt like I could be in a position to say no uh, to, to people in authority. Um, and I didn't really talk about the fact that I had a daughter at work either because I, I thought people might judge me. Like, it sounds stupid now that I'm, I'm saying it out loud, but you know, I'm sure that's the way my brain was working when I was 20, 24. And within three weeks of being at the company, they said, right, we really like you to go on secondment to Holland um so you need to be there monday to friday for the next six months and i just said okay <laughs> and i didn't even think about what the consequences of that were um so the reality of that that came to fruition was i would get a flight out on a monday i come back on a friday leave my wife in a basement flat in south london not in an area where she didn't know anyone with a baby that was five weeks old and uh it was i mean i <sighs> I don't want to say it out loud, but I was having I was having a nice time. I was staying in a nice hotel, learning loads. Like I felt like I was part of the team. But I'd come home and I realised that Clemmy's had a really rough time. Like she's a new mum and she's doing it on her own essentially. Um, and she's never held it against me for making that decision, but I hold it against myself. I wish I'd had the strength at that point just to say, "That's not going to work for me. I can't do that. I can't travel." Um, so that's a big regret, and I wish I'd been more forceful in that. But I think that's something that's changed now in recent years is that people have a bit more flexibility in work. There's more understanding around being a parent and what that does to your work-life balance. Um, so I'm glad that's changed. But if I could go back and change anything, I'd definitely change that. How long did you say? Was it a year? You did six, six months, I did it, yeah. Six months. Yeah. Wow, that is, that is full on. Because I, I, when my second was born, when Sienna was born, I went away for three weeks and that was... But that was three weeks solid. Like I yeah. didn't come home because I was all the way in Singapore. But yeah. yeah, it was it was a tough time. It was a tough yeah. time. I can imagine going away and coming back every weekend for six mm -hmm. months would have been really really and tough. How, how often is that story brought up by your other half? Because <laughs> Clemmy brings um, up. Do you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> there is a story. There is a story that keeps getting brought up, and it's because. It was the second child and they both got ill at the same time and there were mm -hmm. no there were no extra hands about. So yeah. they were both like projectile and the other end, two kids, and it was just like but I think my mum came and, and came to the rescue. So that I thanks mum for helping out with that. But the story does come up. You yeah. are right, the story does come up. Of course, it's used against you with venom whenever you've done something wrong. You remember that time you left me for three weeks? Yeah, sorry about that. that was, it was five years ago now, but yeah, okay. We'll keep bringing it up. So after that six-month period, was it then that you were able to be back and throw yourself more wholeheartedly at being a father? Yeah, I think so, definitely. I mean, I, I was doing the best I could when I was at home on the weekends, but after that, uh, that's a common finish, I kind of really threw myself into it. And that's when I realised, I get, I, I'm good at this. I think maybe because I'm not mentally much older than like a six-year-old anyway. <laughs> I can relate to kids. And I think I got over that whole period of thinking that I was missing out on, on other things when I see my friends posting something on Facebook or whatever. And I didn't really miss that side because I had this little person 
and we had our little family and you know that's what becomes your focus right and I think that's that became more and more stronger with every subsequent child that I've had like you're building your little your team aren't you and you want to put your energy into that and so I've just found that I like spending time with my kids they're like my friends and I, I actually like having conversations with them and I like watching them grow and learn things um, and it's, I know that you still need that valuable time on your own. I think that's something that's really important. You, you find an outlet, whether it's sport or an activity or a hobby or whatever it might be. But actually the people that I've got around me and my little family are quite cool, really. And I quite like that. <laughs> the way you've described that, you bonded so well with your girls. And for some men, for some fathers, they find that really, really difficult, especially in the in the first few years, those early years, because let's face it, some men won't have had sisters um, or had the female experience around them. So they feel a bit uncomfortable when it first happens, when when they're first totally submerged in, in being a father of a daughter. Um, was was that the same for you how did you take to it at first or did did you have like sisters when you grew up yeah so I've got a sister and my mum is like one of my key role models like she's been a working mum for the whole of her life and she's always been present she's always done everything like to be involved in our lives and help us with activities and be creative and do baking and all this kind of stuff so I've got very rose-tinted memories of my childhood but that's obviously rubbed off on me and I don't think I gave much thought to the gender of my children to be honest with you when they I was happy that they were just healthy and happy I mean obviously at some point I was thinking you know is there a boy in here somewhere but you know, <laughs> it was never gonna happen um but but the one thing that I've learned is that girls aren't that much different to boys they are as messy as stressy as complicated um they just come in a slightly slightly different packaging and I think that's okay uh, and but I think also I've I've got to a stage where I'm still, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I don't have a boy because I, I, if I had a boy now, I would not know what to do. <laughs> I really wouldn't. Um, so I'm glad in a way that we had four. So at least I had consistency of knowledge throughout the whole process. You would know what to do. Like you said, they're, they're not massively different. They're, well, they're not, they're not, they're <laughs> I mean, there, there, was, there was an example. That, well, the twins had a birthday party at a climbing centre the other day and the girls were all sat down on the mats, quietly listening to the instructors, and the boys were running at the walls, headbutting it. And I was like, <laughs> actually, yeah, there's, that's quite a marked difference between boys and girls. <laughs> there is a little bit of a difference. They do approach things differently, but I'm hoping as they get older, once you get into the teens, then it levels out a little bit. But yeah, early years with mine, Sienna was definitely a little bit more uh, cerebral in her attack. <laughs> definitely a little bit more cerebral in their attack my, my girls when they want to be mean they can go for the emotional jugular like they, they they know how to they know how to get whereas a boy will kind of just like push someone in a playground or something like that girls can be like get into your brain and uh, they know what to say to hurt you so <laughs> i'm quite delicate around that So you, you spoke about your mum and how she was like kind of your emotional rock and your, your best mate. How was growing up father-wise? Yeah, so uh, my mum and dad are still very much together. They've been together forever and ever and ever. Um, and my dad is also another inspirational role model. And I get asked that in interviews, like, who's your role model? 
and they they always want me to say like a celebrity or something. But it's not. It's people that I know, right? There's people right in front of you. Um, yeah. And my my dad was just constantly working as we were growing up. Like we would see him at the weekends, and he would come home late from work. He was constantly doing DIY and driving us to rugby matches and like doing stuff. So both my parents were really involved, and I I think the the one thing that I've taken from him is an ability to stay calm and have patience. Like my, I think my dad has only blown up at me maybe three times in my entire life. And you know, that's, you know, that scary dad voice, like where you, you've never heard him in in this tone before. And you think, Oh my God, I think he's going to kill me. The one where you you go, Oh, I think I need the toilet. I didn't need the toilet a second ago. (laughs) Now I need the toilet. Yeah, exactly. But he's only ever used that tone with me maybe three times ever in my life and um and he's he's one of those people that i just look up to and want to you know emulate really uh which is why i do a lot of diy and why i'm a cheapskate because i don't want to pay for anything because my dad did it um but i think the the one thing that my dad did for me which is the best thing was like when we found out we were having anya our first one um i was really nervous about telling my parents because we were relatively young and i think they, you know, they put time and energy into my development and wanted me to be successful in my career and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that maybe this would disappoint them if I if I told them. So we got to about 12 weeks. I mean, Clemmy was starting to show. You can't pass it off as just a big Sunday lunch any longer. And um, I, I remember going around to the house and I said to Clemmy in the car, I'm, I'm going to have to tell them. Like, we, I, I need to get this off me. I feel like I've got this kind of pressing down on me I need to share it and she said okay right we'll tell them today and we sat down and we had dinner with them and then uh and then the time went by and then dessert came out and I still hadn't said anything and then before I know it we were getting in the car going home and I was like oh my god I've bottled it I haven't said anything damn it so I, I got me back to the flat where we were living and I said right I've got to go back I've got to make up an excuse and I've got to have a I've got to tell them and I said, oh, I need to get some sports kit or something. So I, I drove back and then I finally... On your own? Yeah, yeah, on, on your own, own. On my own. So I finally had the courage and I said to mum and dad, I, I've got something to tell you. And they kind of like looked at me seriously as if to say like, oh my God, he, he's going to get arrested for something awful. Or, no, 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 it's okay. It's not, like, it's not that bad. Um, I, Clummy and I are, are having a baby. And my dad, my world went in slow motion. My dad walked up to me and he kind of, just stated like with his arm and I thought he's gonna punch me (laughs) he actually just put his hand out to shake my hand and shake my hand and he said I'm really happy for you I'm so proud and gave me a hug and then suddenly the weight of the world was off my shoulders and I just knew that I had the support of my parents and I I know it's something that they would have been happy about anyway but it was just one of those things I was so worried about um, but knowing that my dad kind of had had my back and would support us, and and has they both continued to be amazing grandparents, even though I think they're quite pleased when we leave <laughs> with four kids and two dogs <laughs> when we go to visit. Um, but they've always been amazing, and I I aspire to be like them when I get older as well. You say you aspire to be like them. What what um are the best traits that you would take from your dad's parenting of you when you grew up? I think that I, I mentioned the patience. I think that's it. Like I. And I've, I've managed to get that. Um, I, I, not too much affects me. I don't get stressed easily. And I have the ability to kind of talk things around instead of it turning into a shouting match, which I'm really proud of. I'm, I'm, you know, that's a trait that I love. Clemmy on the flip side is quite Scorpio-based and therefore she's quite fiery. So we have to balance each other out. 
Um, but I think that that patience and learning when to care and when not to care is like really important because in the grand scheme of things, some of these things like a knocked over spilt milk or whatever it is, it can be wiped up. If it's a bit more substantial and it requires you to step in as a parent and take action, then, you know, that's important to acknowledge as well and kind of be a bit more forceful. And those, those times are becoming more and more frequent as the girls are getting older, when they start to push the boundaries uh, about what they want to do and where they want to go and who they want to be with. And, okay, fine. You know, but it's a learning process that I'm still on, so. I, I'm in full agreement. When anyone ever asks me about a tip for a parent, I'm like, patience. Patience is the one. Patience is the one that gets you through and you, you kind of develop it as a parent as well. Even if you didn't have it before, you slowly start to develop more and more patience as you go through it because there's no point sometimes in in just the, the first reaction the knee-jerk reactions you've got to go hold on yeah, yeah, step yeah. Back. It, it's like that. it's like arguing with a toddler there is literally no point in engaging in an argument with a toddler because you will never win like that they, they just come up with ridiculous things uh that you can't argue with but even if you start to get angry about it it's just going to escalate it so easiest thing is just to say sure okay you, you have yeah. your time, you have your time, I'll walk away and then maybe we'll speak in 10 minutes and you probably won't even remember, remember what we were arguing about, so. Totally, there's no point going against them. The only thing you can maybe try and do is divert them to some new, new bit oh, of attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were thinking about that, let's think about this instead, look at this. Yeah, the old switch and bait, yeah, it works regularly. Now, with your children, You've had lots of different experiences, but over the lockdown, you heard something about one of your children that might be really shocking and quite scary as a parent. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so actually it was a year today. Um, so Wow, a year today. Yeah, so it's Marnie's diversary, um, which apparently is a thing. So she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes um, on the 15th of March last year, and she uh, she basically wasn't wasn't well uh, and I, I put it down to a growth spurt uh, I'm one of these kind of people that if someone's not well or struggling I tend to put my head in the sand um, I, I don't know why but that's my natural reaction that's probably another trait from my family which isn't quite such a good one um, but if, uh, I put it down to a growth spurt but Clemmy being from an NHS background and having a bit more medical knowledge she saw the signs um, of like quick weight loss going to the loo loads very thirsty um, quite angry and or temperamental and she kind of put two and two together and took her to hospital and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and that was a real shock to the system um, and I think for Marnie there were lots of tears because for, for an 11 year old to learn that they have a lifelong complication that they now have to deal with is a big thing to take on um, and you know there's a lot of admin that goes along with it so it involves carb counting um, every meal that you have. It involves taking insulin on a regular, regular basis. Uh, and then there's a lot of stuff that we need to learn to be able to support her as well. Like if things are going wrong, what do we do? And there's been some scary moments. In fact, there was a scary moment last week when she went down to 1.5, which is like pretty low. So normal, normally an adult on their glucose range is somewhere between uh, four and seven. Uh, now, when Marnie found out that she had diabetes, her pancreas basically stopped working, so she couldn't process the sugar. So she was at 40, so four times what you're supposed to be. And she was pretty close to being a in a diabetic coma when we took her into hospital. 
Now, the, the other, the real, it can go the other way, though, when you have too much insulin, and then your body can't cope with that. And she'd got to 1.5, um, and she was on the sofa with me, and then suddenly I realised she was really floppy and not paying attention, and she'd just gone completely white as a sheet. And basically, she, she just kind of collapsed um, on, next to me while I was watching television. And she couldn't do her finger pricks. She couldn't do her insulin. She couldn't figure out what was going on. She wasn't coherent. And those, that's really scary as a parent to see because that was my first experience of her going really low outside of a hospital setting. Um, so we've been incredibly lucky that we've got to this stage and it's been a whole year since we've kind of had that experience. But it makes me realise just how kind of serious actually type 1 diabetes is. I think lots of people are like, well, you know, it's something you can live with. It is, but also if you don't do your insulin right or if you don't manage it correctly, it can actually be really dangerous. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a learning curve, but she's been absolutely amazing at it. Um, I think children have a resilience that probably we adults probably don't quite have as much because we're so set in our ways or we'd have our life experiences. And um, she's bounced back and it's just become like washing her hair for her. Um, and she talks so positively about it and she's done assemblies at school and her friends are all educated about it and all those worries that she had that her life was going to be detrimentally affected by it have kind of just disappeared uh, and that's down to her really I mean I'm just a background support act that's all it's all her yeah I mean that's oh, and that only happened last week you experiencing something like that that's yeah something that would scare any parent I think yeah to have to be in a setting where you're kind of a little bit out of control. Something's happening around you, it's to your child, you're absolutely fine as a parent, mm. but seeing your child suffering is yeah. one of the most difficult things yeah. in, in parenthood. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that the diabetes team had told me as well, is that you don't need to always say that it's, it's okay, because sometimes you need to acknowledge that it is a bit rubbish and you, you need to acknowledge those those negative feelings so when Moni was faster first diagnosed she had all these visions of her she's got a very sporty life and she thought I'm never going to play sport again I'm going to have to eat bland food for the rest of my life what have I done wrong to deserve this did I eat too much sugar is it my fault and I, I, I can the best I could do is actually just listen rather than just tell her no it's fine it's not you blah 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 you give her those messages as well, but actually just be the shoulder to cry on and let those tears flow for a bit is actually what she needed. And then eventually my tears came as well, because I think I, I, did, I never acknowledged how it had emotionally affected me as a parent um, up until about three months in. Uh, I, I'd just been like stoic, like cold. I'm more about like making sure she's okay, do the stuff that I need to do uh, and listen when she needs to kind of hear something. But it, uh, when she needs to say something but I hadn't taken the time to actually think about how it, it all affected me and one day it just broke I just had I sat down on the sofa and I was just crying about it and the reason was I read an article that it was uh, that a big rise in type 1 diabetes is linked to COVID uh, in children so there's been a big spike in uh, childhood type 1 diabetes diagnoses that have coincided with the rise in COVID uh, and there's lots of studies that there are lots of studies going on now, um, but then I, I almost had something that I could blame. Um, and that's the thing that I'd missed like for three months. I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, so yeah, that was the moment where my floodgates opened. 
you say your floodgates opened and that took three months. Are you the sort of person, I'm, and you'll figure where I'm going in this, are you the sort of man, sort of father that bottles things up? Because to me, you seem like a very open, kind of let's deal with the problems kind of man. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. stuff you post on Instagram and, and all yeah. of your bits and bobs, you kind of, you, you kind of tackle things. Yeah. But one of the stereotypes of fatherhood, one of the stereotypes of men is that we bottle things up and we don't, we don't address the problem. Yeah. Um, this is a big problem that you, you, you sort of came to a big hurdle and you bottled it up for a little while. Is that, is that normal for you? Is... No, I'm usually, so I'm very solution orientated. I sound like I'm reading out my CV now, which is ridiculous. But <laughs> I, 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 I like solving problems. So I like, it's something that I do in my job and I, that's why I like DIY and I like making things and I just like thinking my way through something. Um, I think the reason why I held on to it for a little bit this time around because I, I was trying to be strong in front of Marnie and not let her see how it had affected me. Um, Usually I'm very much a kind of bit more pragmatic and, and kind of supportive and help things through. But this was a new experience for me. And, and it does make me think a little bit about when I lost one of my friends in a car crash when I was 24 or 25. And I never, I didn't really acknowledge that um, for a little bit of time. So I think it's, maybe it's a coping mechanism that I have built in me somewhere that big things I don't react to for a while. I need to let them fester. I need to let them sit there for a bit for me to figure out exactly how I feel about it. Um, but usually I'm kind of on it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see how I deal with the next one. I don't think that these things are necessarily predictable, but the only thing predictable is that there will be something else that will come up in the future. Which brings me to two questions I want to ask you. One, are you more wary now as a parent having had this experience? Mm. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm more wary that life isn't infinite and we're not all in a perfect bubble, right? And I think that we've been really lucky up until this point that we've just got through life without many of these challenges. Um, but at some point, it's inevitable you will face something, uh, whether it's your own personal health, someone else's health, you know, a job loss or whatever it might be, some kind of mountain that you're going to have to overcome. And that's the bit that's going to test you. Um, but I think, you know, life is an experience like that, isn't it? So it's about how you learn from the things that have happened previously and how you take them forwards. And as long as I'm not repeating the same mistakes over and over again, then I can say that I'm taking a step forward. And the other question that I wanted to ask was, how are you at keeping an eye on your own self, as in mental health-wise, and making sure that you're in a good place? Yeah, do you know what? I, I've got a lot better about it. And I think in the last couple of years, I've talked about my own mental health more um, openly on social media because I think there's, it's, it's quite easy for men to be closed off. Um, and I've, I've worked with a number of charities over the last couple of years to help people open up a little bit. Um, and kind of talk about how they feel or even if it's just with their friends or like a a safe space to be able to offload Um, and I find that I do that more especially during lockdown Um, we had like whatsapp groups between all of our friends like just talking about what we were doing or how we're feeling or you know if someone's been put on um, you know paid leave you know how that's affected them and that's that's made a real difference and the friends that I talk to most openly are the ones that I've had since I was 12 
uh, like we're just a strong group of friends that we've just had for a really long time and we've seen each other go through ups and downs and challenges and I feel like we all know each other really well so you know you feel like you can you know exp express yourself more openly um but yeah I definitely feel like I'm I'm more open than I have been previously and I'm not scared to talk about how I how I feel because I think many many people or many men specifically might feel that's a weakness and it's not it's a, it's a strength like to be able to do it um because it, it, because it takes courage so yeah, it does take courage. Um, just working on dad ventures and speaking to loads of dads, it does take courage. And that being vulnerable, um, Paul Brunson was on the podcast uh, in the first series and he spoke so eloquently about how men have to be vulnerable to be strong. And it's, it's a massive contradiction in itself, but being vulnerable makes you a stronger person. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I don't want to make it an adversarial thing between mums and dads, but mums talk more openly about the load that they carry, right? And many dads will just like get on with it quietly. You know, they do their day job. They do all the things they're asked to do. They do the DIY jobs, the tip runs, the, the sports events, the cooking, the cleaning as well. They, I'm not saying that it's an equal balance between the two, but we don't necessarily vent or we kind of just shoulder it until something cracks and then you know that explosion happens or some kind of mini breakdown or whatever it might be and that's why it's so important to have these release valves along the way to be able to actually just talk about how you're feeling in a safe space and and offload because if you don't do that that pressure will build and build and build until at some point it's going to go so yeah i would encourage anyone to if they don't have that today find a way of doing it even if it's writing something down um a, a physical way of getting it out of your body um is so important what do, what do you use what's your release valve weirdly social media right so i actually you know recording right. recording that video and putting it out into the ether is my way of talking to a therapist essentially and it, even if no one was watching it, it the, the very act of being able to talk it out to a camera is my way of at least expelling that from my from my body and saying the words physically not just going in my head but actually getting it out and even if i don't post half the stuff that i were well, not even half the stuff like i don't post 95 percent of the stuff that i say but i've said it that's the most important thing i've got it out of my body um and so in a weird way that is like my therapy i, I don't think many people would necessarily agree that's a good thing but it works for me so Whatever works for you. It sounds like it's a cathartic process in the fact that you get it out and, and that is your place. And that is so important for people. So many people, like we've mentioned already uh, today, bottle things up and that's not the way to do things. I'm, I've always been a very sporty person and I play a lot of sport now. So I, I've got this um, thousand kilometre cycle challenge that I'm doing in April for Diabetes UK. Um, I play hockey twice a week. I play any other sport that's going, play tennis, squash. Like, I do all of that stuff. And that, the reason I do that, and especially cycling, is because it clears your head completely. You're only focused on like the bike and the road ahead of you and maybe the music that's in your ears. And it gives you the ability to decompress. And so well, that, you know, that's another kind of tool that I use regularly is to just get that time for me. Like I can, can be away from the family. I can be away from everyone. I can even be away from my own thoughts um, just by being on that road with the wind in my face and the road in front of me. And that's all you need. 
we are so happy to have Tonka as our sponsor this series. Basic Fun's Tonka collection is packed full of fun vehicles for kids who want to get out and get tough with their toys. So dads, you've got no excuse. Grab that Mighty Steel Classic truck. It's time to head to the sandpit for some tough play. Now, listen, there's a new part of the podcast where we ask some of our community to send in questions. And we have three here. So the first one is from Ashley. And it says, uh, do you worry about your kids and social media? Because you're quite prevalent on it. Yeah, good question. Uh, thanks, Ashley. Um, yes, I think it's one of those things that all parents should be concerned about because the world in which we live in is not the world that we grew up in. Um, and I, I think maybe I'm probably a little bit more a fae with social media than some parents, but all of our kids, their social media kids are private. Um, they are very wary about, you know, trolling and they're educated about that. Um, but, you know, they're getting to an age where also, you know, they can kind of do it without us knowing, which is a bit worrying. Um, so. Yeah that's something else that I need to, that's where you need to have trust in your own children to be able to know what's a good thing and what's a bad thing to put on the internet um, because whatever you do it, whatever you put out there is going to be indelible there's always going to be a way of getting it even if you delete things right so um, that's something that we we talk about quite openly in, in terms of um, the kids on my social media um, there's less and less of my eldest um, so she doesn't necessarily She's like dad I don't want to yeah. do this. See you later. Peace out. I'm gone. Yeah. yeah. She, she's like, you're so embarrassing. It's like, what exactly <laughs> is embarrassing? Like, you spend your whole time looking at people with loads of followers on TikTok. I'm one of those people that has loads of followers on Instagram, but somehow I am embarrassing. She goes, yeah, well, you, you're just cringy. So, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, okay, fine. So she's, she's not um, really involved in that side of it anymore. And then, um, you know, it's just one of those things that evolves, I think. As children get older, you think about, you know, what you want to share and what you don't want to share and, you know, what might embarrass someone in the future or not. Um, so that's something, you know, I'm constantly kind of thinking through as I, as I post things. And I think also there's been a change generally in social media. Like, people don't put their children on social media as much. Um, I, yeah. I just think they do. Um, and that's fine as well. It's whatever works for you. But I think it's, you, you have to be comfortable with your choices and I think your children need to be comfortable with those choices as well. And that comes through talking. So, Yeah, I, I'm in full agreement with you. As my kids have got older, I've more and more asked because mine are on social media, as you'll have seen, like, are you okay with this post going up? I'll go and, sh and show them a post and be like, are you cool with this going up? Is it going to embarrass you in school? What, what's, what are you? And then if I get the okay from them, then it's like, okay, cool. We can post this, but you're, you're right. Because that's, a side of it that maybe sometimes people don't think about that it's becoming more prevalent and people are more aware of it now but I think in the earlier days when you started out and when I started out people weren't thinking as much about um the way their kids might feel later on because it's going to be there forever yeah exactly exactly but I think that as long as they are still comfortable with your decisions and, and the, the most important thing you said is like consent right you don't I, I wouldn't post something that would be embarrassing without them kind of seeing the funny side of it or at least agreeing to it and not let them read the copy and all of that kind of stuff because it's their lives too it's not just me talking about dad stuff uh, and although I'm extremely embarrassing you know <laughs> so you know it, it's one of those things you need to consider and you, you mentioned your old eldest but what about the younger ones you, are they are 
are they still interested in your social media? Do you know what? Because they're six, they their their revolt their world revolves around iPlayer, like watching Hey Dougie, and like just <laughs> they, they have no interest whatsoever. There will be a point like they do say, "Oh, can I look that look at that video that we did or something like that?" And they'll kind of play it back. But they're they're kind of a, um, I don't think they're necessarily aware quite so much of the the kind of presence that they have, and we shield, we shield them a lot from you know, the, that kind of stuff as well. Like we don't talk about mum and dad's uh, Instagram accounts or anything like that. It's just normal life. Like you just go out and take a photo and I think that people might get a perception that they're treated differently in some way or spoiled, but they're not in any way, shape or form. Probably more the other way that because of that, you're a little bit more strict and a bit more wary about it. So. Yeah, exactly. So we've got another one here from Hannah who asks, um, do you wish you had a boy? Hmm. I think when we first found out that Clemmy was pregnant, I was secretly hoping for a boy. Um, I, I think that was just the man in me that was like, yeah, next generation of me going <laughs> forward. Someone else to carry, carry on yeah, the name and the bloodline um, and someone I could play rugby and football with. Um, but the, those all kind of soon dissipated. As soon as you're holding that child in your hands, it's like... I don't care what it has, like it's my child. Um, and you learn to, you learn to, that actually the girls play rugby just as much as, and football as much as the, uh, the boys and you're not missing out on anything. It's just a slightly different journey. So yeah, I think I was probably dis- a little bit disappointed when I first found out, but that soon vanished. Yeah, defo. And the last question from our community is from Ben who asks, what would you like to do next? What is what is next for Simon, father of daughters? You, you mean I'd say you pretty much conquered social media with like eight, uh, nearly nine hundred thousand like followers. Yeah. What's next? I mean, that is a big question, though, isn't it? Because that could mean anything. It is. <laughs> um, the thing is, the thing is, with being doing the job you do, you you get yeah. to experience all sorts of different things. You get to go to events. You've been to you know you get to represent brands and do all sorts of things. Yeah. Within all of those different things that you've done, is there anything that you've sort of sampled and thought, oh, hey, uh, this would be good full-time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, firstly, let me just caveat that, right? So Instagram is a hobby. That's my, I have a full-time day job, right? So I, I work 50 hours a week as a management consultant, and like this is just a thing that I do for fun more than anything else. But that said, I, I have to acknowledge that it does bring opportunities and experiences that I never would have done previously. And there's been some things that you'll probably relate to, like presenting opportunities, which are they're just really fun, like interviewing people. And it just makes you realize that life doesn't have to be involved sitting in an office for 10 hours a day. You know, there are other things you can do out there and things you can experience. Um, So, you know, being able to go to events has always been nice. And, you know, there was a time when I would get to travel a bit more as well, which was always a bonus as well, because it would give our kids experiences of different places in the world that we probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise um but fundamentally is it made me think about would i like to do anything different going in the future i'm, I'm quite happy with the way that life is i know that kind of sounds boring and mundane and maybe you wanted a bit of, a bit more of an answer but no I, I think i've got to that stage where i'm going to be 40 in september and i'm i'm happy uh, and i don't feel like i need much more in my life to be fulfilled and that sounds like a really soppy and wet answer, but 
It's not a sopping wet answer. And, and the thing is, I think what you're really lucky to have found is you're lucky to have found a balance of different things. I think, I don't know, but you may be a little bit like me where um, one thing, doing one thing all the time monotonously is never going to fulfill you. So you found a way that like, you've got a job that does this, you've got a family that gives you this, you've got social media that gives you this, you've got sport that gives you this. So you've, you've found all of these different things that feed your life and you've got to a point where you're like, yeah, I'm, 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 in, I'm in my happy place. Yeah, exactly. Until I, until I find the next thing. I don't know what the next thing will be. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But as you said, I think you captured it well. I've, I do have, I'm very fortunate to have a good balance on these things. And I, I sometimes am not good enough at acknowledging that. So thank you for pointing it out because that's made me think it. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, there's something we like to la- ask every one of our guests, and it's this. If you could have a dad superpower, what would it be and why? <sighs> well... <laughs> and you can take your time. Um, it, it would be that everyone has to do what I say the first time I say it. <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be amazing. <laughs> Because I did, a, even I did, a, I did a post last night about um, like bath time, and it was just I find myself repeating myself at least fifteen, twenty times. It's like I'm a ghost in my own house. People just ignore me, like walk past. I'm holding stuff for them to take up the stairs, as if I'm not even there. So that would be my power. You have to do what I say the first time I say it. That would be amazing. That would be a great power. Yeah, you, I've been there. I've been there when they're on a, on a, I don't know, Nintendo or an iPad or just watching the TV and you say something and you say yeah. it again and you yeah. say it again. The, the most frustrating <laughs> one is the, uh, the dinner time. My 14-year-old, like, I've, we'll all sit down for dinner. I'll get the twins in from the playroom. Marnie comes downstairs. She's got to come down early to do her insulin. And I'll shout up the stairs, dinner time, come down, please. And then we've all finished our meal and she's still not come down. And we end up, like, calling the phone to upset. Get off your phone now and come down. Your food's cold. And then she'll come down. It's like, yeah, I don't eat reheated food. So, oh, for going right. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that would work. That's exactly I don't, I don't eat reheated food. That's a new don't, one for me. I'm, I've got that coming to me. Don't even get me started. Like, it's just ridiculous. The, the, and the amount that teenagers eat, I, I knew from first-hand experience like, how often my, my head was in the fridge when I was a teenager. But being on the yeah. receiving end of it when you've got to pay for it is yes. no fun at all. <laughs> no fun whatsoever. So, Simon, is there anything we should be looking out for later this year that you've got coming up? Anything that you want to tell the folks about? Yeah, well, I, I would just say that I am completing this Ride for Diabetes UK um, and I'm raising funds for other families who are about to embark on a journey with type 1. Um, so I'll, hopefully there'll be a link that you guys can go to to donate for that if you can. It's a thousand kilometres that I'm doing, which ends in a 225 kilometre ride in one day in Mallorca um, with four and a half thousand metres of climbing. So I am getting slightly concerned about that um, now. <laughs> so Yeah, but if you can support me in any way, that would be fantastic. Um, but otherwise, no, I mean, uh, the, the year will just go on as it does. I just hope that it's, there's no more travel restrictions because we might be able to go on holiday for the first time in three years. That would be lovely. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I just appreciate people following along. And you know, if people have questions or about anything that they've heard in this uh, podcast or general questions, especially about mental health or have fathering daughters or just being nervous about things like having a vasectomy or whatever it might be, because I've, I've had one of those as well. Um, you know, by all means, you know, DM me. Um, I'm more than happy to answer things. And I, I answer and read everything in my DMs. So, you know, please do let me know. What I'd really like to ask, actually, Simon, is would you do us the pleasure of writing a, a blog post for the Dadvenger site about parenting a child with type 1 diabetes? Because I, I, it's a really amazing thing, you talking about it so openly and, and about how tough it is. And yeah. I think that um, that parents could really, really, really um, benefit from it. I would absolutely love to. And I think that as it's on a on the rise in children, especially in the UK, um, I think it's really important because at some point you're going to know a child who has type 1 diabetes, um, whether it's your own child or your child's friends or relatives. And you need to know some basic information. So I'd really love to be able to do that for you. Thank you so much, dude. Listen. Thank you for being a guest. Have a lovely rest of your day. Love to your family and I will see you very, very soon. Thank you so much for having me, Nigel. I'll speak to you soon. Wow, what a great guest. Simon, uh, someone who knows a lot about social media there, telling us that our kids on social media, yes, we have to be aware of it, but it's navigatable. And to hear that his daughter was very ill with type 1 diabetes and it's something he's had to learn and, and sort of process during the pandemic was inspirational and we'll try and get that blog post up for you very, very soon. So there you go, another episode done. But what did you think of it? We would love to know. Leave us a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or on social media about this episode or the series as a whole. And don't forget, if you want to be first to hear brand new episodes, make sure you subscribe by your preferred podcast platform. To find out more about Dadvengers, make sure you head to our website, dadvengers.com, where there is information about our live chats, our dad walks, our blog posts, and more. We'll see you soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.